Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and today I have Nick Prefontaine. He is a real estate investor as well as a real estate coach with Smart Real Estate Coaching. Nick, how are you doing today? I am doing outstanding, and um, Chris, I'm actually I'm very excited to uh, be with you and your listeners today. Yes, likewise. Really Really excited to dive into everything that's about real estate and so on and so forth. But before doing so, I gave a small introduction of who you are, what do you do, but you went unpacking that uh, for us a bit more. Yeah, sure. So whenever whenever I start telling my story, I always like to go back. Um, I was actually in a, I had an experience when I was younger. So when I was 14, I was at ski club with my friends. Going up, I'll just take you back to that moment in time. So going to the mountain with all my friends. My friends and I have brought our snowboard gear onto the bus so we wouldn't miss any time once we got to the mountain. We got to the mountain, everyone else went inside, but we were ready so we could get the most amount of runs in. And we headed right for the chairlift. On the ride up, Chris, we noticed that people were wiping out everywhere because it had been raining earlier. I got to the top buckled into my snowboard and then confidently charged towards the biggest jump in the train park, which of course everyone, well, and this gives you a little glimpse into my personality. Of course, everyone was saying, oh, you'd be insane. You'd be crazy to hit that jump in these conditions. But I, I take any kind of a slight like that as I still do to this day as a challenge. So I'm like, of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right for it. Uh, with all my speed. So going up to that jump, I I actually caught my snowboard, the edge of my snowboard on the ice there, and I lost my balance. So then through the air, I rotated and landed right on my head. Uh. Now it was really like piecing together. I was able to piece together that I went off that jump and landed on my head. My last memory, I think, was on that chairlift going up right before I got off, uh, right before I got off. Um, I was in a coma for three weeks. Holy. And uh, the doctor, the paramedics actually wanted to life flight me to the hospital. However, they weren't able to because it was too windy. So they had to bring in a team of paramedics now, out of, out of the six paramedics that they had at the hospital, there was only one who could intubate right in the spot. And because I was, I was paralyzed immediately from that, I needed that to be able to breathe. Luckily for me, there are a number of things that broke my way that I still can't explain because of my accident. But he was, he was the paramedic that showed up at the mountain that day. Then uh, once they once they got me to the hospital in the ICU, they 
had my parents come in and my parents of course were shocked once they saw me and how rough a shape I was in. And uh, they just thought it was a, a broken, oh, he, he broke his leg or he broke his arm kind of thing. And when they saw me, they were, they were a little shocked. Now, very, especially early on, Chris, but um, all throughout my time at, at the ICU at UMass uh, Med Center there in Worcester, the doctors had to share the worst case scenario as you can imagine for liability reasons and everything like that. So they told my parents that, look, he's probably not going to be able to walk, talk or eat on his own, even if he comes out of his coma. Then, then after, after I came out of the coma and there was, there was that time period where now, obviously this is after the fact, but I learned that it, I was in the coma for three weeks it was partially intubated or I'm sorry, partially induced because they had to wait for the swelling to go down in my brain because they were afraid that I would wake up and panic and be like, what happened? What happened? And the swelling would go up and I would die. So they had to intubate me. I keep saying that they had, they had to induce me into the coma. I really don't remember a month. So after a month, because I was coming off of those drugs, partially induced, after a month, I was transported to a rehab hospital in Boston. And that's where I had to learn how to walk, talk, and eat again. How old were you, Nick, at this point? I was 14 years old. Holy moly. Yeah. Okay, wow. So you had that mindset, even at 14 years old, be like, hey, let me go ahead and hit this amazing jump, even though everybody's afraid. Okay, sorry to cut you off, but keep, keep going within your story. So 14 years old, you're going back to rehab. Now that's a whole other story, I'm guessing in itself. Yeah, so I got to rehab after roughly a month of being in the hospital. That's why I said, I don't, I don't remember a month. Now my parents had the goal for me to, to make a full recovery, of course, what parent wouldn't in that situation, but I had a goal as soon as I, as soon as I was able to communicate with everyone that my goal was to run out of the hospital. So that's what we, that's what we worked towards. And that's what I worked towards. And, and the whole team there at the hospital uh, was shooting for less than 60 days later, after I got to the rehab hospital, I ran out. Um, and that, that was my goal. And, and they told me, they told me that the school did. They said, oh no, take your time. Don't worry, uh, go through your recovery. Cause I, I was still going outpatient therapy. I, I still had a busy day of uh, outpatient therapy. I didn't want that. I didn't want to stay behind. They said, take your time. You can just do eighth grade again next year. So I went forward and graduated with my classmates. However, I had to get tutored uh, every day for the rest of the school year, and then all summer long, five days a week in order to advance on to the next grade with my classmates. Then it was, and the reason why I bring this up whenever, whenever, I'm, whenever I'm on shows like this is because then after I had to go to outpatient therapy for six months, speech therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy. However, once I got but my uh, faculties back and I was able to go to school and everything like that. Around the time, two years after I ran out of the hospital, I grew up in, 
in a uh, family business, real estate. That, that's all I knew. So I started, I, I read a book, uh, Cashflow Quadrant by uh, Robert Kawasaki. And that's, that's what kind of started me going and started my wheels turning. And I came to my dad and said, hey, I want to, I want to help. I, I want to do something. I want to get involved. What are you doing? And at that time, they were starting to play with the idea of having someone from the team knock on doors of pre, pre-foreclosure doors. All that means a fancy way of saying homeowners that have received a notice of default. So I'm so, guessing your parents were real estate brokers at that point? They weren't, I mean, growing up really. I grew up when I, when I was a toddler and little, my dad was a builder, then he was a realtor, then he was an investor. And okay. at this point he was an investor. Okay. Yeah, he, he had his own company that he was, him and his team were building. So at that time, two years after running out of the hospital, I started getting this NOD list, a notice of default list, people that had missed payments on their mortgage. And I would go and knock on their door and try to set up meetings with our investor to come down and meet with them to see if they'd be a fit for us, potentially buying their house and helping them out of their unfortunate situation. Then if you fast forward to, I graduated high school. After that, I continued knocking on doors throughout the rest of my high school career. Uh, But I had to go to school during the week, Chris. So I was only able to do this on weekends and holidays, but I I loved it. So once once I graduated, I started studying right away to get my real estate license. Now it took me a few times, but I was able to pass the test and now, just to give everyone a timeline, when I passed the test to get to be a real estate agent was March of 2008. Nice. I know, stop the press. Really good, really good time to get your real estate license uh, <laughs> with the state of the world and the market crashing at that time. Then I got to witness from 2008 to 2012, my dad and I worked out of a a little private office in town. And we are both doing completely different things. However, I got to witness him uh, dig out basically. So in the crash of 2008, the market crash, he had signed personally on loans prior to that, prior to the market crashing. So he'd signed personally on loans. He guaranteed debt uh, personally with investors. And he had, his days were I would come into the office and like I said, we were doing completely different things. And I got to witness him, his days, the majority of his mornings, he was fielding calls from investors, clients, banks, all wanting their money back because the market crashed. So I got to witness him dig out of that. And it was, uh, definitely eye-opening. It was, it was amazing. I learned, I learned a lot in that during that time while I was building a real estate business on my own. Uh, that was, that was pretty amazing. And that was actually the start of our, um, the whole, the whole format, the whole lot, uh, the whole business at Smart Real Estate Coach. We don't sign personally on loans now. Uh, we don't put down our own money. Um, all, all from that 2008 debacle, as my dad likes to say. Okay. So let me jump in real quick. Let's first and foremost, great story, brother, man. Congratulations with 
everything that you have to go through. And before jumping into the real estate side, because you said a lot of things that I do want to unpack, let's take a step back to you being 14 on this unfortunate series of events that got you in a coma after the skateboarding accident. And now as an adult, do you still see or, or do you still live with certain difficulties that came from that time, like your cognitive ability? Did it go back to the same thing? How's your health when it comes to walking? Is there certain things that remind you on a daily basis that, oh, I had this accident when I was 14 or you're 100% re re back like to 100% in every sense of the way? That's, that's a very interesting question, just because if you ask me that question, probably probably five years ago, I would say, oh yeah, hundred percent. I made a, a full recovery. I don't have anything, but there was something, there was something that came up. So I did, I did make a full recovery and I was able to get mostly everything back. Um, so I have, I have no limitations, knock on wood right now. And I'm able to live my life and, and work out and exercise and everything like that. However, back in, um, Back in 2012, I developed a voice issue and I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't know what was happening. I couldn't really figure it out. And I started looking everywhere, allergists, uh, started going to my MD, everyone. So I was like, what the heck is going on? And then I went to speech therapy on my own and I couldn't figure it out. My voice, it just, it was tight, right? and really tight right here. Like it was difficult to get the words out. And I just didn't know what it was. And I exhausted all my work with speech, speech therapy here locally that they finally referred me to a specialist in Boston. And then in August of 2013, I started getting treatments, Botox treatments, injections into my throat to alleviate the swelling Wow. And then I started working with that specialist. So in conjunction with the Botox treatments, I worked with their speech therapist and their speech pathologist, and then um, was able to get my voice back. Now, now I have my voice back from that. Um, so that's like the second thing that I had to overcome. But now um, my last, my last Botox treatment was February, believe the day is February 13th of 2020, uh, before the world shut down. So that was the last time I needed a Botox treatment. And prior to that, I was getting them only a couple times a year, but now I don't, I don't have to, um, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. So now, now I'm able to focus on what I want, which is helping others and affecting others with my story. Nick, I mean, this is an amazing story. Like it's literally like a Hollywood script of somebody being in a coma for three plus weeks and at such a young teenage years. My next question within this, and then we'll move on to the real estate side of things, is how did your perception of the world change after going out of this legit almost death experience? As a 14-year-old kid, did that make you more mature? Did you start understanding the difference between life and death? Is that something that interests you? Is it something you repress completely? What was your ideology? Because just listening to what you said as 14 years old, I feel like you would mature quite quick, right? So I just want to know your perception at like around that ages right after the coma, how was your perception of the world, life and death and so on? Absolutely. 
um, and still to this day, Chris, I'm, I'm, um, my perception is just different. Um, and especially going, going with the times that we're in now, uh, which is the COVID-19 pandemic and going through that, uh, my perception's just different. I don't, I think the differences are, I don't remember prior to my accident or actually, wait, let me rephrase that. I do remember prior to my accident, I've asked family members, have I, am I like different after the accident? And they say, oh, you're definitely different, not like in a bad way, but definitely different. And I just don't, I think I don't let things bother me. Hmm. Um, there's no, like other people do. Like to me, if you were to say, I hear it so much now and it really, it really like, for lack of a better term, bums me out. Um, when people talk about, uh, oh, I'm so anxious or I'm so nervous or I have anxiety, to me, I don't understand what those mean. That doesn't make, I just don't get it. I don't know what, I don't know what you mean by that. Um, I think the perception, if you don't mind me jumping in here, is kind of like the stoic philosophy of momento mori is knowing our mortality. And the fact that you came so close to it at very young age just changes not only perception, but your literal DNA within your body through your, your new understandings, new neural networks that are created within your mind. And that makes it that you don't sweat the small stuff, which 99% of the population, including myself, do. Or when it happens, we have to look at it and be like, oh, wait a minute. I got an argument with this person. I lost the transaction. I lost this much money. Instead of freaking out behind it, you could take a step back and be like, okay, wait a minute. I'm alive. I'm healthy. I'm this and that. And then you change that perspective and see that thing that's bothering you at that current moment is really not something that's going to bother you in a month from now, a year from now, or whatever the case is. So I think that that thing that you live to has that experience. And you know what? it's a huge advantage from that regards of you not sm uh, sweating the small stuff and not being anxious or overwhelmed, just like you uh, mentioned over there. So Nick, th thank you for kind of jumping into that. And if we take it to the real estate side, I love the story of you read the rich dad, not rich dad, Pardot, sorry, the four quadrants by Robert Kiyosaki and understanding, Hey, real estate is a real thing. I want to get into it, especially that your family was in it. And then at a young age, you took the courage to be like, hey, pops, what can I do? And you started knocking on doors on your weekends, on nights, on holidays, and truly falling in love with it. That just shows how much of a real estate like potential you had. But more than that, you're a salesperson. Like I'm, I come from real estate background as well. I was a realtor before being a professional speaker and a coach. And I built my career in my early 20s by knocking on doors. I used to hit up over 100 per week from phone calls and doors. And then that's how you kind of got it. But in the beginning, it's extremely hard because it's so highly uh, levels of rejection. So my question to you is, how did you learn or what did you learn in those moments of you knocking on doors that you still utilize at a high level as a real estate professional, entrepreneur, and coach? <laughs> oh, this, this is a great question. Um, I love the fact that I had that experience because as you were, as you were alluding to just now, there's no better way. So someone who did doors, I can share this with you. You can relate to that. So I use, I only have one or maybe two days a week that I could go and knock on doors. So to me, what made sense 
and I didn't consult anyone on this, but what made sense, I was 16 years old, was, hmm, okay, I'm going to go to the areas, the cities, that the concentration is the highest of these pre-foreclosure doors, these notice of default doors. Nice. Probably not the best areas to buy property in. However, I didn't know. I was, I just wanted to hit the most amount of doors every day. So I would go, I would go and knock on their door. And this relates to what you were asking me. At first, I had no training. It was just, hey, here's a script. Here's a list of homes. You go, you knock on that door, you, you say the script. This is what you're supposed to do. I, I took it at face value. Oh, okay, that's what you do. So my first experience of knocking on doors was I would basically go right up to the door, knock on the door, and then they would come and I'd hit them with the script and I get a lot of doors slammed in my face because there was no tact involved in what I was doing. I was just, oh, go, this is what you got to do. So you do it. Especially then, at 16 years old. I mean, it's not like you're trying to sell cookies here. You're trying to either buy these people's property and, you know, you look quite young and I'm sure there was some resistance with that. Yeah, exactly. And I wasn't doing it the correct way. So then after that short time, there was only a week or two or, or a couple of weeks, handful of weeks that I really, I did that. So then my cousin and I flew out to California to shadow the number one guy in the country that was, that was having success with these, with these uh, NOD doors, these pre-foreclosure doors. So once I saw him, I was like, light bulb went off and I was like, Jesus, I am, I am like, I'm really not doing it the right way. So he would go up to the door, do a, like a lightly friendly knock, like, a, like a friend stopping by, just wanted to say hello. So he would, he would walk up, he would take a few steps up the, the stoop, do that knock and then take a few steps back. And so he wasn't right at the door. They would come to the door and he would go, he would look around. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know if you could help me out. Um, I'm looking, I'm looking for this address. Do you, do you know where, where it is? Can you help me kind of thing? And once they saw their name on that list, they would light up and share with him, share with us because I was there with them too, what happened and what they were doing to fix this situation, or really, Chris, I mean, this was 05, 06, 07, what they weren't doing to fix the situation, those nasty banks, kind of thing like that. So once I saw that, I was like, light bulb went off. And then I got back, after I started implementing, implementing this, I hit my high for doors in a day was, uh, I believe, 72 uh, that I was able to do. So uh those tactics whenever i'm going to a door that i don't know it's literally not a friend or a family member i it like comes right back to me and i like i give a knock i take a few steps back and i'm the same thing the disarming um not tactics but strategies and okay. i still do that to this day 
So I love that. Let's unpack that for the listeners, because a lot of what you said has to do with NLP and just understanding the human psychology. So first and foremost, when you are going to knock on door and you stay right there, it's more aggressive, right? Like you said, you don't want it to be a strong knock. You don't want to be somebody that's a collector. You don't want to be a cop. Then you step back. And the aspect that you're stepping back is allowing the person to come approach it as they want. And not only that, the idea, which is a great idea of showing the list with their name, it creates this association of once they see their names, they know that, oh, it's exactly for me. And they have this comfort level. It's something they know. It's something they've been with their whole life. So that's why their, their barriers kind of come down and they're able to explain to you the story of whatever situation they're in within a foreclosure or uh, have difficulties paying their uh, mortgage. So I love that approach. And I'm glad that you had that experience in that regards and something that you still utilize to this day. Now, Nick, talk, let's talk about the real estate investing side of things and the fact that you coach people. Talk to me a bit about that. What do you guys do? How do you help people uh, do their real estate investing? Do you guys only do like, I don't know, apartment syndications? You do a single units, you do plexes. Like what's that whole aspect of that world uh, when it comes to the real estate and the coaching side of things? Yeah, absolutely. The, what we do is, um, so we have our business and I'll just give you like a 10,000 foot view to, to help you understand it. We have our business here locally, which is uh, Massachusetts, which is Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and pretty much Eastern Connecticut, where we, we buy property on terms. So non-conventionally, what does that mean? Well, I'm talking, we'll, we'll buy a home on a, like a lease purchase or owner financing or subject to someone's existing financing. However, to give you just like a high level example, it's basically like a delayed cash sale. So we will give them their price or we'll give them a, we'll give them a fair price. Let's say that, not, not necessarily their price, but we'll give them a fair price for the property. Generally, it's, it's a little more than, than uh, what you could get today on the open market. So a lot of the homes that we go after are homes that have had trouble selling for one reason or the other, and they're just not able to participate in a uh, conventional sale, like a, like a cash sale, put the home on the market, get a, get a cash offer and move on with your life. So we'll, we'll go in, uh, we'll buy a home on, I'll just use one example, a lease purchase, uh, over the, over, a, I'll, I'll throw five years out there. We'll say, all right, we'll give you, we'll give you this price, um, to move on with your life in the interim, we're going to pay all of the taxes, the utilities, the upkeep, that kind of thing. Um, and then five years down the line, the date of the contract will, will cash you out. We'll either get a, we'll honor before we'll either get our own loan for that property or have someone else cash you out. Now, once we have that equitable interest, we go out to the market and we're able to legally, uh, not as a realtor, but as an investor, uh, look for a tenant buyer to sell the home on a rent to own. Mm. Now we'll usually sell the home on a shorter time frame than we have, but generally speaking, it's usually two years, 24 months. Um, every situation is a little different, but I'm just using this one example. Uh, then all of our homes do require a down payment. So they're putting a down payment down initially. And then over, the, over time, over the course of their agreement, uh, and then on or before the end of those 24 months, 
they're getting their own loan and uh, cashing everyone out and moving on in the property, um, moving on with their lives and everyone's able to move on. The reason that we do it shorter, like a shorter time frame, is life events happen, death, divorce, job relocation, that no one can foresee. Um, so that gives us enough time, if we have to, to then sell it again on a rent-to-own to another buyer. Or if we don't have enough time, sell conventionally on the open market. So that's, that's our business, buying and selling. Um, then we have, after, after that, just to give you an idea of how it works, we have associates all over the country that we, we coach to come up with those same businesses, uh, the same procedures, strategies, um, and tactics that we use now, and systems, systems and processes, um, all of our associates all over the country can use as well. And that's what we do at Smart Real Estate Coach. Nice. Nick, I definitely love that approach. Love the aspect, like you said, you're doing smart investing uh, or financing, as well as looking into lease options with certain uh, tenants, buyers, and so on and so forth. Definitely a good strategy. And as our time is kind of winding down over here, I just want to ask you two last questions. Uh, my next one is, it's obvious that you're successful from a very young age. You had that mindset just from that unfortunate accident chose your mindset of like, hey, you're a go-getter. The fact that you had that accident and came back on top and just look amazing in so many ways. The fact that you decided to start knocking on doors right after and just being this uh, going into the real estate world. And there's so many things we can learn from success as entrepreneurs and business people, but there's a lot of things we can learn from people's mistakes, failures, and difficulties. So my question to you is, Right now within your business, what is one thing that is really difficult within your business or you're struggling with? Name it. And then tell us what are you thinking about to do to solve that problem? I'll use what I'll do is I'll use our uh, buying and selling company as an example. Uh, just because we just had our offsite uh, yesterday for that. Uh, one of the things that we are kind of working through and, and struggling with is low inventory. So we need to we need to be buying more properties. We need to get more properties. Uh, we have now now after our offsite yesterday, we have that really dialed in. We know what we're all doing. It's very simple. Like everyone's very clear that this is what we got to do to get properties. Um, and I think without that reflection, like we have, we have a trimester offsite. So three times a year, we're able to review and look back on the business and then set new goals for the coming, the coming trimester. Uh, without that, it would be very easy to kind of sweep that under the rug, Chris. But we're all on the same page. We all know what needs to happen um, in order to fix that problem which now we're going to do going forward. So we're excited about the rest of the year. Nice. I love that. So essentially knowing that there is uh, a lot of like uh, properties not on the market that you guys don't have necessarily as much as before, but then knowing, okay, this is what we have to do to kind of go ahead and fix that or kind of go towards it. So Nick, I mean, man, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Amazing story. Congratulations with all your success. Before letting you go, what is the best place that our listeners could contact you? If there's some people that are interested to potentially get coached by you, learn more about their real estate as well, please mention the book that you have out that uh, uh, re was recently published. So tell us uh, where we can connect with you. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you I'll give you a few different places to look. So the now the book, this is something that uh, we haven't we haven't got to and I haven't mentioned, but uh, just for your listeners, Chris, we will um, we will ship them out a copy of our book for free. Now, when I say that, I'm not telling you that once they opt in, uh, we're going to require them to pay for shipping. We're going to pay for 100% of that. And where they go to get that, I'm looking for the link right now, I uh, believe is Wicked, Wicked Smart. Uh, if you want to hang tight, I believe it's wickedsmart.com. Uh, I'm sorry, Wicked Smart Books. I'm just going from memory here because I don't see the link. No worries. Even if you go over memory, everything will be in the show notes below. So people could just go find it directly. Don't don't worry about getting it spot on or not. um, That's what I was looking for. Thanks. It's wickedsmartbooks.com forward slash um, the peak performance greatness show. I don't know how that's going to be shortened, but they'll be able to find the link in the show notes. and. If there's, if there's anything, Chris, that I said today and share with you and your listeners that uh, piques their interest, uh, they can head on over to our website and that's smartrealestatecoach.com and get registered for the free uh, master's class that we have. I believe that's about 30 minutes long and that will give them a good a firmer grasp and a firmer understanding of how we buy and sell properties on terms uh, with our trademark three payday system. So um, there are three paydays within the way we buy and sell when you, uh, when you sell it to a tenant buyer monthly, um, when you make the spread between what they're paying and then what you have to pay out. And then third payday three is when they cash out and get their own loan. Perfect. So they'll be, they'll be able to learn about that and then decide if it's a good fit for them. If at the end of the webinar they uh, do, they'll be given very clearly their next steps, but uh, it's not a good fit for everyone. So uh, and we under, we get that. We understand that. So, um, so Nick, I mean, thank you very much for all that. Like you said, everything that you mentioned will be in the show notes below. Uh, once again, congratulations on that great story. Keep up your phenomenal work and we'll speak very soon. Hey, thanks, Chris. It was a lot of fun. Christopher Devian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or intrapreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. If you want to know more, go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day. Thank you.